Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. I am in Dallas, Texas for the World Meat Congress. We're going to talk a lot of trade both today and tomorrow. Quite a lineup of speakers here at the World Meat Congress. We're waiting to hear today from uh, the Canadian Agriculture and Agri-Food Minister, Lawrence McCauley. Also, we'll be hearing uh, here at this meeting from U.S. Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue and also Kenneth Smith, Chief NAFTA Negotiator for the Mexican Ministry of Economy. So we'll get a lot of information about NAFTA and other trade talks. And... Um, Look at the efforts ongoing to move more U.S. meat products around the world. And a little bit later, we're going to talk with former USDR Chief Ag Negotiator Darcy Vetter. We're also going to be talking with the president of the National Pork Board, Terry O'Neill. And we'll talk with a member of the National Corn Growers Corn Board and their feed, food, and industrial action team, Kevin Ross, will be joining us on the program. But we're going to start with Joel Haggard. He is the uh, Senior Vice President for the Asia-Pacific Region for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Joel, thanks for joining us. This is quite an opportunity to talk with a lot of customers and potential customers. It's certainly certainly an incredible gathering here in Dallas uh, this week. Um, Half the audience is international and uh, discussing all the important issues of the day. And there are a lot of uh, opportunities, but there are certainly a lot of challenges, too, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. It's always like this. Well, well let's talk about uh, when we look at that Asia-Pacific area, um, let's talk about what are the market opportunities for U.S. Uh, uh, US meat industry? Yeah, I mean, uh, Asia uh, constitutes uh, probably over half of uh, the total uh, export value of uh, red meat. Um, it's an area that... Um, it's an area that has lower red meat per capita consumption than in North America and Europe. Thus, um, there's a lot of opportunity uh, for growth just in consumption. Um, that said, it's a very competitive environment. Um, it's not like selling meat in America where uh, beef is competing against other alternative pork competing against beef and pork from other countries and other proteins, uh, including seafood. But in general, um, we see uh, red meat consumption uh, in the long-term rise between uh, the different markets. You have uh, the uh, uh, Japan and Korea that are quite mature um, with um, uh, mature economies and uh, high per capita disposable income. But you also have... uh, uh, emerging markets such as China, Vietnam, Indonesia, and Philippines that uh, represent longer-term opportunities. Well, China is so much in the news, of course, and the on-again, off-again uh, trade tensions, and uh, we don't know from one day to the next, it seems like, if that's uh, going to open up more or, or constrict, but uh, uh, obviously the, the, the huge potential there. But what are our biggest, other than the ongoing talks right now, what are some of the biggest obstacles and hurdles we have to overcome? Well, and uh, I mean, in terms of the pork side right now, um, our product does face an additional 25% duty on top of the existing duty of 12%. You add a value-added tax on that, you're looking at a border protection rate of 50%. So um, in China, price is very important. So anything that raises that uh, protection level at the border um, is, uh, is damaging to us. It's amazing, given those duties, that we move as much pork into there as we do. 
Well, yes, um, exactly. Uh, it's uh, well, it, it's kind of interesting because there's certain items that the U.S. Uh, exports to China uh, that um, uh, don't enjoy um, viable alternative markets. So, uh, so it's an important market for certain items. Um, you know, these are items that maybe <laughs> sound a little strange to U.S. consumers, such as uh, pork front feet and hind feet, but uh, uh, they get uh, uh, very nice premiums over there. But if you put those duties on, those premiums just come off, and uh, it's it's a loss to uh, uh, America's uh, pork farmers. When you look at that Asia-Pacific region, what's a, a market that you think could be a really growth market for us? Yeah, if you look, well, of course, China is a fantastic opportunity. If you, if you just look at numbers, um, you know, they're at 95 or 96% self-sufficiency on pork. I mean, think of uh, the additional volumes of pork that would go in there if China's self-sufficiency just went down to 90 percent. Um, uh, China's already the largest beef import market. It's uh, beef imports so far this year up, you know, again, at a record pace uh, year on year, 30 uh, percent Q1. Uh, so it, it's a it got incredible opportunities uh, on the beef side. But looking uh, to Southeast Asia, some of these other emerging markets, um, we're uh, we're paying uh, particular attention to uh, Vietnam uh, for beef and pork, and Philippines uh, for beef and pork, and Indonesia for beef. These are, uh, emer- like I said, emerging markets, large populations, um, growing middle class, all the kind of uh, factors which lead to increased uh, meat consumption and imports. And what's it going to take to increase our sales to those into those markets? What are the hurdles? Uh, well, there are some market access hurdles. Um, there's tariffs in all those uh, countries. Um, there's some non-tariff barriers as well. But uh, uh, but but we think that you know again in the longer run, it's this organic kind of uh, uh, economic growth that that drives uh, demand and purchasing power. So you know again these are longer term plays. But um, as you look ahead and 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 want to strategize as an industry out into the future. Um, those markets look pretty promising. Do we need free trade agreements to get into those markets uh, and, and realize all that potential? Well, free trade agreements. I mean, just look at just look at the benefits that, for example, the uh, Chorus Korea U.S. free trade agreements brought us on pork. Zero duties now on all items. As I mentioned earlier, an item like pork generally uh, is is quite price sensitive. So to the extent that free trade agreements can reduce tariff and non-tariff barriers, there's no question that's going to help us. Pulling out of TPP, how much did that set us back in those markets? Um, Well, I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of TPP, of course, uh, that was an agreement that was going to result in lower duties. And uh, so, you know, every percentage point of uh, duty reduction is worth uh, millions, if not tens of millions of dollars. When you talk with uh, uh, people from these countries at an event like this, what what are they wanting to know? What questions do they have? Well, a lot of people are always, <laughs> they, they always ask about what's going on in the market right now. Well, you know, it's very similar to maybe here in the United States, you know, what did the Dow do today? What mm-hmm. did uh, what did hog futures do today? Uh, I mean, people in Asia always ask, uh, you know, what's going on in China and, uh, you know, how's the Korean buying for uh, beef short ribs and so forth. So it's a lot of chatter about um, 
a lot of chatter about the current market situation. Um, and, um, uh, you know, there's also a lot of uh, questions about kind of the longer term trends. And, of course, top of mind right now are uh, trade talks. Everybody wondering what's going to happen with those, right? Exactly. Very important. And from day to day, we wonder, right. you know, are they going well or are they not going well? That kind of leads us into our next segment uh, with Darcy Vetter. But Joel, thank you very much. And uh, uh, I know we focus a lot on the challenges, but it's good to hear there are certainly opportunities out oh, there yes. as well. Oh, yes. Yep, right? That keeps us going. All right. Very good. That's Joel Haggard. He is Senior Vice President for the Asia-Pacific Region for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. So we're here in Dallas for the World Meat Congress, and we have um, people from all around the world and here to talk about trade opportunities. We're wondering about trade opportunities. What's going on with NAFTA? What's going on with China? We have some tariff news uh, just today on steel and aluminum with Canada. So uh, how's that going to affect NAFTA? We're going to talk with Darcy Vetter, former chief ag negotiator for the U.S. Trade Representative, coming up next here on Adams on Agriculture. The mighty Prosoro, king of fungicides. Its fast action and long residual make it the keeper of grain quality and yield, the hammer of head and leaf diseases, the number one reducer of scab. When your goal is greater wheat quantity and higher yield, use Prosoro fungicide, and the crown of higher profit will be yours. Learn more at prosoro.us. Always read and follow label instructions. A lot can happen in six seconds. A rodeo ride, a dramatic basketball win, and the world record holder can solve a Rubik's Cube. Six seconds is how long it takes for an 18-wheeler traveling at a safe speed to come to a complete stop. And in those six seconds, that truck will travel the length of two football fields. So please, give them room. Never cut in front of a large truck for any reason. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you wanna give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device 
the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. We're in Dallas, Texas for the World Meat Congress and a lot of talk about trade and someone who's very familiar with trade is Darcy Vetter, former chief ag negotiator for the U.S. Trade Representative and um, want to talk about get her perspective on what's going on in the trade uh, negotiations right now and and Darcy, it's hard to keep track, really, what's going on, especially with China and the talks that are going on. We thought we were in kind of a, a hold or a truce, and agriculture got excited about the potential of all these new sales, and now the tensions seem to be kind of ratcheting up again. Uh, yeah, well, good morning, Mike, and thanks for having me. Uh, and you're right. Uh, I think we are are watching to see what the trajectory of these discussions with China will be, uh, will does 50 plus billion dollars worth of of new tariffs be imposed or not. Uh, Last week it looked like there was a holding pattern there. We would uh, try and engage China in some conversation about reform, possibly purchases of additional ag products. Uh, And then the tweet came out on Tuesday that in fact the plan to impose those tariffs would move ahead. Uh, Really unclear whether that was intended to put pressure on the timeline for these negotiations and be used as leverage, or if it's sending a signal that the preferred course is uh, to go ahead and and impose those tariffs. So I think a bit of confusion about what the status of those talks will be, and there's a lot of speculation out there about how much progress they can make this week if that status is unclear. What also seems to be unknown is just who's really spearheading the negotiations. Now, you've been at those tables, and you've been in those kind of talks. And you kind of know who the players are, but it seems like with this administration, those players are constantly changing as far as who's really speaking for the administration. And uh, and about the time you think you know, then here comes a tweet from the White House that seems to change everything. Yeah, I think that is, um, that's a, a confusing element there in that uh, Secretary Mnuchin was, of course, leading the talks a couple of weeks ago. Secretary Ross is apparently on his way there this weekend to lead discussions. Uh, And, you know, trade policy is complicated, so when it comes to things like uh, imposing anti-dumping and countervailing duties, that really is something that commerce does. But overall, if you're talking about a trade policy relationship and what is our goal for that relationship with China, typically that's your U.S. trade representative. Um, Obviously with China, we're also concerned about or have been concerned about things like uh, currency and some of the financial instruments they use or curbs on investment and so Treasury is involved so all three of the the officials you see there um, do have a role to play but speaking in a coordinated voice and and making sure that they're presenting a united front is obviously important not just for achieving what we want but also so that our partners in China and in other countries know that they won't find gaps uh, between us and that um, everyone will be asking for the same things and that those things are clear. Agriculture is a big part of this, obviously, and that's what we focus on. But we know there's a 
there's a broader picture here and we get into the intellectual property and things like that obviously there are issues that need to be addressed and these have been going on for some time what is it like to negotiate with with china on these types of things well, you know, China is always um, very prepared for these negotiations. They obviously have a different governmental structure than we do. And so um, if they want to, they can move quickly. Uh, in our democracy and working with stakeholders and working with Congress, sometimes that slows our process down. Uh, I think that's often for the better to make sure that, that we check all of those boxes and we understand the impact of what we will do. Um, but you can, when they're ready to move, they will absolutely move. Uh, I think the other thing that China does is um, thinks very long term, and our election cycles and the, our politics sometimes prevent us from having that same long, long term aspect. But it is very clear that China has a plan for how it would like to develop some of these competitive industries, and it has a plan for developing its agricultural economy as well. And so, figuring out uh, and talking with them about how that plan, uh, it's actually important to include trade and freer and more open markets in that plan, um, there are several places where we have common interests. Um, but it's also true that they've engaged in some pretty unfair and uncompetitive behavior, and we need to curb that. What I would like to see is much more work with our allies to get that done. And you know, they're such a large economy, and they can uh, have such an impact on prices or how markets really move, that if we don't want to supply China, or if we place pressure on China for their ability to supply us with products, they can go elsewhere. And they've often used their size and influence to sort of play markets off against each other. I wanted to ask you about that because I've read stories of people have said, oh, they need us much more than we need them. And uh, uh, how how would you assess that situation as far as their Obviously, they could get products from other countries, but uh, is that something that would be in their benefit or, I mean, to their advantage, or, or they use that as a, a negotiating ploy, perhaps, a, a leverage at the table? I think it's a little bit of both, actually. I think when it comes to agricultural products, obviously, we are a high-value, often lowest-cost supplier. Uh, we have good transportation routes to China. Um, we should be a preferred provider. Um, but we probably shouldn't be the only provider from a risk uh, point of view. You know, countries do tend to diversify their purchasing, and we have some pretty stiff competition, whether that's Brazil or Argentina or, you know, New Zealand and Australia and the EU on dairy products, um, things like that. So, um, you know, they, they can and, and will play us off against one another a little bit there. Um, but they also need us in a lot of other sectors, and you know, one of the things the United States is always good at is innovation. Um, but if they don't protect our intellectual property or if they steal that intellectual property, then that's the kind of conversation about reform of that system and how they can get what they need from us, but also protect the value that we send them for our producers is really important. But something like that doesn't happen overnight, and there needs to be a very clear strategy and benchmarks of what we consider to be success uh, to get them there. Um, and that's the, that's the piece. What does success look like? What is the goal for this administration? What's the timeline that they have to get to real reform uh, with China that um, I think folks are waiting to see? We're talking with former U.S. Chief Ag Negotiator for the U.S. Trade Representative uh, Darcy Vetter. Do we still call you Ambassador Vetter? Can can we still call you that? Uh, that technically, yes. You I get believe to keep you that can. title with you, right? Okay, <laughs> yes. so Ambassador Vetter is with us. Um, 
let's talk about NAFTA. Uh, the news now today, the administration is going to go ahead with tariffs on steel and aluminum on Canada. Uh, it seemed like the NAFTA talks were already kind of bogged down. It, it would this either spurs it ahead or slows it down even more. Which do you think will happen? Um, well, I think that the announcement came today that steel and aluminum tariffs will be put in place for Canada, Mexico, and the EU. So three of our biggest allies, uh, where we are likely to see the, those tariffs imposed. Um, you know, Mexico is in an interesting position here, and they have a presidential election coming up very soon in July. They already have very tricky politics around renegotiating this relationship, and the imposition of tariffs, I think, makes that even more difficult uh, to be shown giving concessions uh, to a partner that is not making concessions on their side. Uh, for Canada as well, um, you know, they're being asked to make pretty significant reforms in NAFTA that would change the certainty provided to their uh, investors in the agreement, the overall time horizon of the agreement with the sunset clause, uh, and now to be, be hit with these tariffs. Uh, the administration also announced they're starting a process to impose tariffs on cars. Um, already the rules of origin on automobiles and how automobiles would be treated under NAFTA uh, has been a, a contentious issue. The addition of these tariffs, I think, complicates things even further. So do you think we get an NAFTA deal done this year or not? Uh, personally, I think right now um, the emphasis seems to be off of the timeline, and uh, it would not surprise me, given the complications in Mexico's calendar, our midterms coming up, if they went to the back burner for a while uh, and into 2019. And whose advantage is that? Who gets the advantage in that? Is that good for U.S. or not good for the U.S.? Um, well, I think it's not good for the U.S. and U.S. agriculture in that it continues to place our relationship with Mexico and Canada in that uncertain column. And, you know, we just talked about China diversifying its purchasing. That's exactly what we're seeing in Mexico, is that if they're not sure what the terms of trade will be, if they won't have access to U.S. products or the same relationship with U.S. firms under NAFTA, that's more incentive to put more of their ag purchases um, from Brazil or from Argentina or even the EU. And of course, Canada and Mexico are not going to stop their negotiations with other countries. So they're both moving quickly to ratify TPP. And uh, the EU and Mexico have almost completed their negotiations. So uh, our standing as, um, is being eroded somewhat while they will have new preferential deals in place with other countries that can supply them. As we talked with China, it's risky to take a position, they have to have us, they need us, because uh, even if that's true to a certain extent, they can still find product from other places. And why, why drive a good customer into the hands of someone else, right? Into their arms, basically. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ambassador Vetter, good to see you again. Thank you very much. Likewise. Thanks All so right. much. Ambassador Darcy Vetter, former Chief Ag Negotiator for U.S. Trade Representative. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk with the president of the National Pork Board, Terry O'Neill, here, um, trying to uh, find more customers for U.S. pork around the world. We'll talk about those efforts next from the World Meat Congress here in Dallas. Stay with us. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. 
If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable bed so if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep call now for prices and information and then decide when you see how little they cost discover craftmatic for less up to 50 percent less than today's leading memory foam brand call 1-800-318-7903 that's 1-800-318-7903 1-800-318-7903 call now Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Grain and oil seed sector able to stabilize somewhat in the overnight session into Thursday morning. We've got a mix with corn and wheat firm. Soybeans, though, faltering a bit. July soybeans closed lower for the second session in a row yesterday. July retreating from new swing high resistance at 1050 and three quarters. We scored that on May 24th. Wednesday's selling breaking 20 day moving average support at 1022 and a half. We're currently trending below that in the day trade. One to two and a half lower in the beans. July an hour into the trading day hovering around 1020. And a half. In corn, we are three and a fraction higher. July up three and a quarter, 396 and a half, an hour into the day. July corn plunged yesterday. We cracked key daily chart support at 394 and a quarter, but again, currently trending above that in Thursday's activity. In the wheats, we're trending four to five and a fraction higher in Chicago and Kansas City. Minneapolis spring wheat trending two and a fraction to three and a fraction higher. USDA saying earlier this week, 79% of the corn crop was in good or excellent shape, higher than last year's 65 and more than expected. Corn and soybean futures fail Wednesday. Strong start to the U.S. growing season diminished the prospect of supply threats. For livestock at the Merck in cattle futures, retreating after that midweek rally with live cattle trending 42 to 75 cents lower, 35 to 72 cents lower in feeder cattle should begin to see better definition in the cash trends this week. Lean hog futures 40 to a dollar two lower. The Dow down 178 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over five million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider. Vermont and New York Banking Departments. Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031.
Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. We are in Dallas for the World Meat Congress. Already um, this morning here at the meeting, Canadian Agriculture and Agri-Food Minister Lawrence McCauley has uh, spoken to the group, and he's going to be holding a, a press conference right here in the room where we're at here perhaps in a few minutes and if so we may listen in a little bit uh, and hear what the Canadian Ag Minister has to say especially when it comes to NAFTA and the news about uh, tariffs on steel and aluminum so that we just talked about with Ambassador Vetter so uh, we may get to listen in a little bit to that but joining us right now is Terry O'Neill president of the National Pork Board and uh, Terry thank you for joining us this is a great opportunity to promote U.S. pork to uh, customers and potential customers around the world. Oh, it certainly is. This is a great opportunity for us as pork producers. That's why we're out in f- full force here. Over half of our board is here attending this meeting. Uh, we've got our international marketing committee team here also, too. We just had a meeting this morning at 6.30, bright early in the morning, so we're all ready to go. I'm really excited as a producer to be here. Now, obviously, uh, you can't get into policy and things like that, but uh, you're here to promote the product, right, U.S. pork? That is, that is true. We're here to market the product. That's one of our main responsibilities is marketing and research and education of our producers and the consumers. So uh, we definitely have a huge focus now on exports and international marketing, more so than the past. And even though you can't get into policy, obviously it's policies like uh, tariffs and duties that make it hard to uh, move U.S. pork. You're feeling the the impact of what's going on with China right now. That is true. Anything that interrupts trade is adverse to our uh, production uh, viability because we depend on trade so much. 27% of our product, uh, whether it be pork, the muscle cuts, or variety meats, go out of the country to other countries. A lot of that is variety meats, too, particularly going to China. We were talking about that earlier with Joel Haggard with the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Uh, a lot of the, the product we can send to another country, like China, they want product that... that not necessarily our favorites here in this country, right? Yes, and Joel made that observation yesterday in his presentation. He thought, well, variety meats will change over the years. Uh, China will go more to muscle cuts. That's not been true. They really embrace buying U.S. muscle cuts, and it's been a great market for us. I mean, if you leave it here, it's maybe 15, 20 cents a pound. You take it over there, you can add another dollar. So uh, it's it's been a huge boon for the pork industry to be able to move those variety meats out of the country. And when you talk about developing a market, that is really a lot about developing relationships, right? Uh, they have to feel comfortable with you as a as someone that they want to do business with. This is a good setting for that, but a lot of that work goes on over a period of time uh, on the ground in those countries. Definitely. Uh, our team went, did a trade mission to uh, Tokyo, Japan, and went into China, several cities last year. And there's planning a new one uh, this fall for Vietnam and Hong Kong and Singapore and these are long-term things where we build those relationships where we know we have to start somewhere uh, particularly in Vietnam we're not selling a lot there now but it offers a lot of potential down the road so we need to start building those relationships somehow and that's, that's what happens with trade missions in any business it's always good to know your customer and oh. especially in this business because of those uh, needs that are different uh, than what consumers are wanting in this country you've got to know what those consumers are wanting you're exactly right it's all about Having the relationships like we talked about, 
providing them with the specifications they want for their people because their tastes are totally different than ours. So we can't take an American cut and take it to another country and say, here, you buy this because it just doesn't work that way. You know, that is interesting, and I think that's often overlooked. We think, why can't we just say, you know, we love, uh, you know, a big, thick pork chop. Why would they want it? Well, their taste may be different. They want something totally different. And that doesn't make uh, them wrong. It just makes it different than what we're used to here. Yeah, there's a lot of differences in taste, but we all have a lot of commonalities, too. We all want to eat better, and that's why we know the importance of trade because the world is growing, and as the world economy grows, they're going to eat more meat. So we want to be there to provide that need. It is hard, I'm sure. I mean, you're trying to cover a large area. You're trying to talk to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You have limited resources, obviously. So you got to make good decisions to get the biggest bang for your buck, right? right? That's correct. Uh, we work closely with the United States Meat Export Federation. They have boots on the ground in several different countries. We work. Uh, we meet with them on uh, an annual basis to determine what the budget it is. We actually ha- heard their budget request this morning, and we'll be making that term- determination of how much we will spend on international marketing next week at the World Pork Expo. Mm-hmm. World Pork Expo coming up next week in Des Moines at the uh, Iowa State Fairgrounds. We're talking with Terry O'Neill, president of the National Pork Board here at the uh, World Meat Congress. So, Terry. You sit down, do you, do you get a chance to talk one-on-one with those, some of these representatives from other countries then? We will be. Actually, many of us uh, from the pork industry are paired up with leaders from uh, other countries. I'm going to speak to someone from uh, NH Food Group in uh, Japan uh, probably later on tonight. And we've got people talking to leaders from China, from Mexico, and all these uh, food companies. We want to, to make those relationships and pair up with them and, and talk to them about what their needs are so they will be more interested in buying our product. Mm-hmm. So even though you can't get into policy, you watch very closely what goes on with these trade negotiations. Oh, I certainly do, yes. Um, it's very important for us to have free and fair trade. And... Uh, you know, these things are going on. Uh, hopefully down the road they're going to be for the better. But I guess the ride getting there is kind of scary as a producer because we depend so much on trade that we don't want to disrupt that trade. And we've seen a little bit what happens with when, when there's some terrorist place that it does hurt our markets. So what does a customer, whether it's from China or Vietnam or whatever, when you're sitting and talking with them about um, selling them more U.S. pork, what kind of questions do they ask? Um, they're concerned about uh, food safety primarily, and that's something we can provide in the United States. We have the highest food safety in the world. Uh, we have a very consistent product. Uh, we have a product that can be well marbled in certain cuts, so they enjoy that high-quality product. So we talk about the quality aspects of U.S. pork and primarily the safety aspects because that's a challenge that we are seeing in developing countries. Uh, they don't, they're don't; they afraid of pork a little bit. When we come in with a U.S. product, they find out our product's very safe, and they can cook it at lower cooking temperatures, not have to overcook it like many people do, and they have a great eating experience, and they'll come back. And we're seeing some trends going on, particularly in South America, where they're changing from less beef and more pork and just basically more protein in general. So there's some educational aspect oh, to this too, right? Especially definitely. Even right down to how to cook it, how yeah. to prepare it. Education is one of our three main uh, charges, you know, promotion, uh, marketing, uh, and then education research. And we need to educate people, even in the United States, mm-hmm. 
And that's the message I would like to give the people that don't overcook U.S. pork because it's a very safe product. You can get by with 145, 150 degrees with a three-minute rest and have a wonderful, juicy product, particularly in a pork loin or a pork chop. Uh, that's the problem a lot of people have is they, they overcook it. They, they forget about how lean it is. We made our product really lean and they overcook, and it doesn't have a very good eating experience that way. Well, a lot of that education will take place next week at World Pork Expo. It certainly will. We're going to have cutting demonstrations, cooking demonstrations. We're going to compare our product with other countries' products and things like that. It's everything pork you ever want to know about pigs and pork. So if you have time, come to the World Pork Expo next week. At the Iowa State Fairgrounds in Des Moines, we're talking with Terry O'Neill, president of the National Pork Board. Well, Terry, um, you have this opportunity to sit down here at the World Meat Congress with these customers and potential customers, uh, but obviously they're talking with competitors, too. It is a competitive marketplace, isn't it? It is a very competitive marketplace. These are all buyers for all from all over the world. This is the first time in 23 years, I believe, this has been in the United States, so we want to uh, focus and showcase the U.S. product here, obviously, as being on the National Pork Board and, and the people from uh, National Pork Producers Council are also doing the same thing along with United States Meat Export Federation. So here's our opportunity. It's our home field. We're going to showcase our product. Uh, I think we're doing a great job, and we're really excited about being here. These are these are like-minded people that are are basically meatheads. They they love the meat business, and we are willing to talk to them and show them our product, and and uh, we're really excited. You mentioned this earlier, but uh, these economies, as they grow and improve. So does their appetite for protein and and the the opportunity to uh, increase protein in their diets. That that opens up another market opportunity. Yes, we're seeing this a lot in Japan. The younger millennials are eating, going away from fish and eating much more meat protein, whether it be pork or beef or whatever, chicken. Uh, they're going to, toward that, and we're seeing that in. Even I've read about the, you heard of the Mediterranean diets. They're a lot, they eat a lot more meat now in the Mediterranean areas and things like that. And of course, South America, as the economies improve and um, they decide they want to improve their meal or their nutrition, they'll eat more meat. Do issues like antibiotics? Do, that, do those questions come up as well? Our use of those in uh, in our production? They do. They do, particularly in the United States. Um, it's not so much anymore. Uh, I think we've addressed a lot of the situations. We follow the um, the withdrawal things like that. But people are concerned about uh, antibiotic resistance, and they sh they they have a right to be concerned because if you have a loved one that's sick. But we have to remember that you know pigs are kind of like people too, and when they don't feel well, we need to have the the choice to use antibiotics to help them to feel better. So we want to protect that choice, but we also want to be very judicious and responsible in our antibiotic use. And you have to, I'm sure, assure these customers you're going to be a, a dependable, reliable provider. Of course, and we saw that in 2014, 2015. We had the West Coast slowdown, and that really hurt us in our export market because we couldn't get our product out of the United States. Uh, so it's very important for us in, in the fact that we need to be reliable. We also had issues a few years ago with PED, uh, porcine uh, uh, epidemic diarrhea, and it slowed down our availability of pork, so they had to go elsewhere. We've had to fight to get those markets back because uh, we need to be very dependable. But right now, we've got an abundant supply of pork, and we are a very dependable uh, seller of product. And that's a good point. That's why exports are even more critical. The, oh, the, yes. the growth in production in this country, we need to move that product. Terry, for thanks sure. for being with us. Thank and you, keep Mike. Keep up the good work. All, All right. right. Thank you very much. Very good. Terry O'Neill.
is uh, president of the National Pork Board, and they are here uh, talking with uh, buyers and customers from all around the world at the World Meat Congress. This is all important to corn growers as well as uh, they feed those animals and that provide that turn in those meat products that are being sold. We'll talk about that next here on AOA. If you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year, if you love sharing good times and making great memories, or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever, then it's time to discover the three C's of your very own endless pool. The first C is convenience. Imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool, installed indoors or out, just steps away. The second C is comfort. With sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature, you can easily escape the stress of your day. And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. And here's a bonus C, choice. Because when you call for your free Endless Pool Idea Kit, you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location. Call now for your free information, 800-717-0734, 800-717-0734. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I'd wake up with a sore neck or maybe a headache. Or I'd feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. Well, when I invented MyPillow, I wanted it so you could adjust the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual regardless of sleep position. MyPillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster and you will stay there longer. It's not how much time we spend in bed. It's how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all my own manufacturing in my home state of Minnesota with a 10-year warranty and you can wash and dry my pillow and here's my best offer ever get four my pillows for the price of one that's right get four my pillows two premium pillows and two travel pillows for the price of one order my pillow at 800-871-7280 and use promo code farm 11 get four my pillows for the price of one call 800-871-7280 and use promo code farm 11 go to mypillow.com and at checkout use promo code farm 11 all right guys we're ready for our four season sunroom and daddy's gonna get a rec room with refreshments oh no we'll be sleeping under the stars mom what about the one with you know the fun nice try little bro it's a gym my gym hey grandma's getting her four seasons garden room weather tight and still like being outdoors maybe a living room oh no wait a family hub yeah no matter what the budget the season or the climate 
Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since ДИНАМИЧНАЯ Use Prosaro fungicide, and the crown of higher profit will be yours. Learn more at prosaro.us. Always read and follow label instructions. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. We're here in Dallas, Texas at the World Meat Congress and our broadcast today and tomorrow made possible with the support by the support of the National Corn Growers Association. Joining us now is Kevin Ross. He's from Iowa, member of the National Corn Growers Association Corn Board and the Feed, Food and Industrial Action Team. Kevin, thanks for joining us. And we talk a lot about this. Uh, the livestock industry is certainly important to corn growers. Yeah, livestock industry is hugely important. We uh, they're our number one customer, and uh, uh, they consume more corn than any other uh, industry out there for us. And and so you know we certainly want to be here to support them and the actions that uh, uh, they're taking to better their industry. And and that's why we're here down at the World Meat Congress. So increased meat sales around the world. That's a that's a growing market. Then uh, the livestock uh, market's a growing one for corn growers. Oh yeah, anytime that uh, red meat's exported, then uh, you know it's it's good for corn, good for soybeans, good for uh, you know all the grains that are out there that are being consumed by uh, by these animals and and uh, you know exported indirectly. So it's indirect indirect uh, use of a. Uh, of the grains, but um, it directly, you know, hits the pocketbook of the farmers. Tell us about your feed, food, and industrial action team and some of the work that you're doing. Sure. We've uh, recently been, you know, uh, focusing on, on these partnerships, strategic partnerships with uh, different uh, animal ag groups, including National Cattlemen's Beef Association, uh, National Pork, and, uh, um, you know, the uh, poultry industries and other ones were um Working, working to try to uh, strengthen the relationships with National Corn and, and finding ways that we can partner with them and, and uh, like I said, help their industry um, see where we can best insert our dollars to, to help them move their, their meat products. Because as we've, we've talked about this before, it takes a joint effort, doesn't it? Uh, working uh, with groups like the Meat Export Federation and others, if you pool your resources together, you can get so much more done. It sure does. You know, um, we all have limited budgets, but, um, you know, working together, we can achieve so much more. And um, we've worked at the state level or, or the national level with uh, many of these groups, especially USMEF, for, uh, you know, decades now. And, uh, um, 
government partners partners with us and with um, with these organizations that uh, you know export the red meats and uh, and any other products and and it's um, you know the, these partnerships are really essential to getting the job done and, and uh, making these sales overseas and and creating the markets that uh, that we need to move products. So you have a chance to have a lot of meetings here, talk uh, with the people in the livestock industry as well as uh, the buyers from these other countries. Sure, yeah, there's uh, many, many international buyers here. I uh, uh, just saw uh, the Canadian Foreign Ag Minister speak, the Argentinian uh, Foreign Ag Minister speak, and, and also our own uh, U.S. Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, um, is just speaking as well. So um, lots of, uh, you know, high uh, government officials here from across the world and um, also, you know, buyers from those respective countries as well as many, many others. Um, a lot of people here that, uh, you know, that are really trying to advance trade and trying to, uh, you know, feed their people and, and uh, get, get food products into their country. So we're here to help and, and hopefully assist, uh, uh, assist our organizations in getting that job done. A lot of... Uh a lot of hurdles to overcome a lot of times with the trade issues and the disputes that are going on, but uh, that's why it's so important to create these relationships. Yeah, relationships mean a lot, especially in uh, the world trade uh, um, talks and things like that. We've, um, you know, I've had the opportunity to uh, visit with some folks overseas at different times, and um, you know, you, you get there one time, uh, you know, you meet folks, and then if they have the opportunity to come back, and we've had folks at our farm that uh, um, have. You know, I've met overseas and things like that, and, and uh, those relationships, uh, you know, begin to create uh, long-lasting um, effects, and, and hopefully we can, you know, better agriculture for it for, for everybody. So, and obviously your message here, as we said, is that uh, the corn growers are in support uh, of the livestock industry, and you understand uh, the challenges and issues that they face, and you want to help them with some of those. We certainly are. You know, there's many of our producers that are also livestock producers as well. Um, that's something that uh, I think, you know, it's a connection that a lot of times is overlooked, but uh, um, many, you know, a few guys on our board that have livestock and, and row crop, and there's a few guys that are only row crop, but uh, uh, we certainly, you know, value these relationships, value the partnerships within our own industries, and and um, you know, if we can if we can move more product, it's better for everybody, and the, uh, that's what we want to do. And this is an ongoing uh, campaign, right? Ongoing it is. Effort. Yeah, yeah. Like things. I said, we've been we've been uh, partnering with USMEF and and uh, other ones that are sponsoring a couple events here at the the Meat Congress. Um, um, you know, trying to help build the you know build the the relationships between the people and um, um, the different countries, and hopefully uh, you know hopefully we move more of our our meats that way. As we see the other countries increase the amount of protein in people's diets in their countries, that creates these market opportunities. Yeah, protein consumption in, in the world is, is on the rise, and uh, that's that's hugely important for us, Mike. We want to be a provider of that, and we want to be a provider of the quality uh, the quality side of it too. It's not just uh, not just any protein. We want to be there with um, uh, the high quality, the high end, the, the dollars that actually move um, uh, move economies, and especially our own. And that's the message that uh, you want to get across to these customers, obviously, right? Yeah, that's right. You know, the more, um, like I said, the more, it, it's really simple, actually, at the end of the day. It's a very simple uh, message that when meats move, grain moves, and that's good for corn growers. So that's why we do it. That's why we're um, here to, to work with these other groups and, and uh, see how we can, um, you know, best achieve our strategic plan goals and moving more corn and, and them also uh, moving more meat at the same time. And you learn a little bit more about the the customers, what their questions are, what their needs are, what uh, sure. what they're looking for, right? Yeah, the customers um, they're unique in every different country. We saw a, a presentation yesterday uh, about about different um, 
different buying trends in, in different countries and in, in Asia specifically. But uh, um, uh, the presentation was fascinating as to the different types of restaurants, the different types of presentations of meat, um, sushi bar that was actually a steak bar. I mean, there was just things that, uh, you know, we at least I wouldn't think of living uh, living near Omaha. You know, don't don't see that type of, of a steakhouse around home. But yep. it's, it's fascinating what buyers are, are looking at now. And that is a really good point. We think everybody might think like us or, or have the same taste as us, but that's not that's not the case. It's it's truly not the case. You know, they like different cuts of meat. They like uh, um, different uh, different styles of presentation. Um, and then and then that changes the sales of also you know their the way they consume whether it's uh, delivered to their door. Um, you know, it depends on how they live and, and, uh, and where they live. So, um, there's a lot of unique, unique attributes to each country and how these, uh, how these products move there. Corn growers very much in support of the U S livestock industry. We're seeing that here at the world meat Congress and, uh, in a lot of efforts throughout the year. Good to see you, Kevin. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks Mike. And, uh, appreciate all the efforts, uh, the folks here to, to move meat. Appreciate it. Kevin Ross, uh, member of the, uh, National Corn Growers Association Corn Board and their Feed, Food, and Industrial Action Team joining us here from the World Meat Congress in Dallas. Back with more tomorrow. Hope you'll join us here on Adams on Agriculture.